Hi, I'm Stuart, an alcoholic. Stuart. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, today is actually my sobriety birthday. I took four years today. My birthday is 6 12 2018. <laughs> I kind of like to start at the end of kind of the story and kind of just take it from there. So it was 2017, uh, it was July 20th or 21st, about nine days before my birthday. And I hadn't been working for somewhere around three to four months at this, at this period. Um, so I had, I went on a job interview that day. And of course, you know, the alcoholic that I am thought that I killed it. I was amazing. So what do I do? You know, I go and I start drinking as soon as I get back. So I started drinking somewhere around noon. Um, and when I drink, you know, my, my twist drink is whiskey. You know, I like getting straight into the point. And for the last previous 10 years, I also like to add um, some barbiturates in that cocktail because I figured out it would uh, get me drunk quicker. I could get pretty buzzed in 20 minutes. So it was about seven o'clock and um, I was already probably, I really can't remember, maybe about a handle deep, deep into my drinking. I thought it was a good idea to go drinking and driving because that's what I did. You know, um, I, I, even though when I got my license, I think on my 16th birthday, I drove home drunk. So I decided to go drinking and driving. Uh, I made it about a half a mile from my house. Uh, I had a blackout. Um, I don't remember. I just remember kind of nodding off and totaling my car. Um, I crashed into another car. Um, thank God no one was killed in that car. Um, thank God I hit the motor of that car and that family wasn't hurt. Um, I came to, the CHP was there and saw me trying to start my car. That's what I do. I run. I run from situations. So at that point, um, they obviously tried to field sobriety tests, but I was just like, come on, guys. We both know this isn't going to happen. I'm not going to pass this thing. So my blood alcohol level was so high, they took me to the hospital that night. I had a blood alcohol content of 0.32, and this is, you know, by 7, 7 p.m. So I ended up going to, uh, going to the hospital. Um, the IV bag fell out, so I guess I was still drunk. <laughs> they ended up taking me to the jail the next day about noon. Uh, you know, jails aren't something new to me. Uh, I've been in and out of jail from about the time I was 14. Um, uh, I was an active gang member and a drug dealer for most of my life. Um, so that's, uh, we'll get into that a little bit later as time allows. So at this point, you know, I'm back in jail. I'm used to jail, been in and out, you know, been in and out for a long time. I got a little bit smarter when I started, you know, starting getting close to the big boy jails, right? Um, you know, I had a little bit of scrape um, uh, about going to gladiator school, but if we get to that, we'll talk about that as well. So at this point, you know, they take me to Men's Central Dell. It's about noon. You know, thank God I was able to um, reach out to some friends and my parents. I don't know, somewhere around midnight or something, you know, somewhere during the day and eventually ended up getting bailed out the next day, uh, the following day at about two in the morning before I got put in, you know, put in with the uh, other great people, just like upstanding citizens like myself at that time. So I was lucky enough. Um, what they did is they ended up taking me out straight out to Marietta. You know, I've been living in Telcorn County at this point for since the end of 2008. So this was 2017. And my parents take me out to Marietta and, uh, as you can see, my first sponsor is here. He, he decided to come all the way out from Marietta uh, to come see me speak. You know, uh, you know that man you know, did a lot for me. And when we get a little bit further in my steps, we'll be able to kind of talk about that as well. So, um, I, like I mentioned, I hadn't been working. Um, so, funny enough, about I end up having a job interview about two days later. You know, I'm not drinking, but I'm still popping pills like their skills. You know, I'm going through more pills than you can possibly think about. It was, it was, it was pretty, pretty bad at that time. I ended up having a job interview and surprisingly, God likes to show up and say, Hey, I'm going to give you another chance. And this job's from home. So I get to work from home. So I get this, you know, I get this another great job literally one week after I get my DUI. 
So um, at that point, you know, I was like, well, I don't need to go home, right? Because I can work from home. So trying to get the heat off, you know, these parents are sweating me, family sweating me, you know, friends are starting to sweat me and they're, they drink like I drink and use like I use, which is surprising. They're starting to tell me there's an issue. You know, my, one of my best friends I had since I was, uh, he's still around since, but he's still out there running and gunning. So he talked maybe once a year and hang out about once a year. He, he told me at the end, he said he didn't know if he should call the police or an ambulance, you know, and that's bad when someone that, that drank like I, you know, acted like we acted and drank like we did. So at this point, you know, um, to get the heat off, I stay in Marietta, you know, start working. And what do I start doing? You know, um, okay, I'm going to dry out for a little bit, you know, get the heat off. And month goes by and uh, I tried some control drinking. So I tried a little bit of control drinking, you know, no more than three beers, but you know, what do I do? I'm an alcoholic. So I want the strongest beer that they have, you know, the largest beer that they have. And that lasted all of two weeks for myself. You know, as soon as I would get back, I was right back into the hard stuff. You know, give me, you know, give me something that's going to get me where I want to get. Because when I drink and when I use, I drink and use for oblivion. You know, I don't drink because I like the taste of it. You know, I'm an alcoholic. I drink when it's hot. I drink when it's cold. I drink when I'm happy. I drink when I'm sad. I drink because that's what I do. I'm an alcoholic. I drink. So this lasted me another, you know, another couple months. Uh, you know, so I'm able, you know, I'm about August, you know, September, October, you know, get through, get through the holidays, you know, I'm still, I'm starting to drink again. So things are starting to, you know, not go so well as they normally do, but you know, I'm, I was a functioning alcoholic, if you will, as I'm able to hold a job, but you know, I was at no point in time a functioning human being my whole life. You know, as was mentioned before, um, Caitlin was mentioned, like I knew there was something wrong with me my whole life. And when I got some time under my belt and I was able to start reflecting back on what happened in my life, I remember the first time I got high, I was nine years old because I broke my arm, you know? And so what do they do? You know, they, they shoot you up with some Demerol. They shot me up with Demerol. And I remember at nine years old, walking up the stairs of my parents' house, being like, I could live like this the rest of my life. You know, and what type of normal nine-year-old says that type of thing, that they want to be high the rest of their life, you know? And that ended up... Uh, spiraling into a little bit more. I became a daily user and drinker at about 11 years old. Um, and again, I'll kind of jump back to that as, as time allows. So I get through the holidays. Um, I end up going to court. You know, um, I was blessed enough to be able to have a good lawyer, uh, to afford a good lawyer. So he did some horse trading for me because they wanted me to do six months in jail. It was my second DUI. Um, again, I was lucky enough to be able to procure a good lawyer and ended up get, just getting me house arrest, but they also hard suspend my license for a year. So I've got no license. Uh, the judge also sees that I've had some, you know, run-ins with, you know, run-ins with the law, especially with substances and, you know, and using and dealing. So he decides to put a one year of not only can you not drive, but you can't drink. You're, if you're in any, any establishment that their primary alcohol actually product is alcohol, and this is for the next five years. So I'm actually still under this until the end of this year. I'm not allowed to be there or I'll be arrested. So, um, yeah, I've got a nice checkered pass. So what ends, so what ends up happening is I get convicted December 6th, and now it's into January. Um, I hadn't gone to any A meetings. That was part of my conviction, right? I had to go to, I had to, go to a DUI class, and my DUI class was nine months. So that particular... DUI class, I think it's pretty standard. You have to be about 36 or 38 AA meetings. And of course, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm hard-headed. I, I'm still drinking. I'm still using. I don't want to do this. You know, judge takes a look at me. Hey, this guy hasn't gone. Okay, throw some money, more money at it. I'm going to start going, you know, going to start going to meetings. So I start going to my first meeting, um, 2018, February. Uh, license has been hard suspended, so I'm Ubering around. And surprisingly enough, it was the meeting that was discussed a little bit earlier, 11-step meeting. <laughs> 
uh, in Rancho Santa Margarita. That was my first meeting, uh, first Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. You know, I go to that meeting. I'm under house arrest. I can't go anywhere. Uh, so I end up showing up. You know, they ask me to read. I'm like, no, nope, I'm not reading. You know, I leave half. I leave halfway through the meeting. So I'm like, hey, I got I got more important things to do. I, I can't spend my whole time here, right? Because what do I want to do? I want to do the things that I want to do. You know, I don't I don't understand what you know what God's will. You know, it's just been my will. My will got me to this point in my life. You know, and at this point, I'm making more money than I had ever made. You know, I've had a couple different cars. I've already got the house. You know, I'm. I'm making a pretty decent amount of money, but at this point, I'm absolutely miserable in my life. You know, I can't look myself in the mirror. You know, there's no, there's no drug. There's no drink. There's no woman. I'm stuffing all these things in to try to make me feel better. And I just don't know what it is. You know, all I know is I want more, you know, and every time I get that new car, I get that new girlfriend. It's, it lasts for, I feel good for a week. And then I'm back to being miserable and I'm back to hating myself, you know, and I didn't understand that I'm trying to stuff this God side. You guys tell me it's this God sized hole I have in my heart. And I can't even say the God word without getting offended. You know, I, I made it a personal mission in my life to tear down anyone that believed in religion and believed in a higher power, believed in and believed in God. You know, and I would go and do research about your religion to figure out how I could cut you down or hurt you. Um, I was not a very nice person before I got here to Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I had a very violent, violent past and, um, also, I like to hurt people. Um, if I couldn't hurt them physically, I'd hurt them, you know, I'd cut them with my tongue and kind of chop them down. So obviously that made me some friends, but also it made me a lot, a lot more enemies. So I ended up going through my house arrest. I made it about 15 days. It starts from March 1st to March 15th of uh, 2018. I haven't had a drink in this time, but again, I'm popping pills like it's, you know, like it's going out of style. I'm popping them as much as I possibly can because I need something in me. You know, my brain just doesn't shut off. You know, my brain never shut off. It's always trying to solve problems or I'm always trying to get something or trying to make 10 different moves to stay ahead of every other person. I don't know how many lies I've told, but, you know, I can sure spin my lies. And, you know, I did it, but I hurt a lot of people when I did this, you know, and unfortunately the people I hurt were the people closest to me. You know, I ended up finding out, you know, after I get some time under my belt, you know, these are the people that I hurt is the people that are closest to me in my life, you know, and I'm lucky enough to still have a family still have a sister, you know, one or two friends still hang around, but my family and my friends to stay are in Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, and you guys gave me something real. You know, I never thought I would be able to have relationships to be able to look someone in the eye and generally tell the truth because I'm a criminal before I get here. I was born and bred a criminal, even though I had a, I had amazing family. You know, I come from upper middle-class uh, family, um, but I, but I, I, there was something wrong with me. You know, there was something wrong with me from when I was born. So what I sought after is I sought out, I sought after drugs, I sought after money, and I sought after games from a very early age. So at this point, I make it to about March 15th of uh, 2018. And I had been working, you know, because when I'm an alcoholic, I don't know what balances my life. So I'm working 18 hours days. I end up getting promoted to a CTO position. I'm a chief technology officer for a company. And I'm an absolute fucking mess. Like these guys are letting me run their company and I'm a goddamn, you know, I'm drinking, I'm ordering a hundred dollars worth of alcohol a day to my house and going through this. And I'm somehow able to, oh, I obviously didn't <laughs> keep it going for too, too long. Um, but I was in that position for a couple months. I don't make it a ton of money, but I started drinking March 15th. They're like, hey man, you've been working so much. Why don't you go out on the company? So I go out, you know, the day I get from house arrest, I'm getting there, they cut my, they cut my bracelet off. I'm like, come on. I told my parents because they're driving me. They're like, come on, let me take you out. So we go, you know, to a nice restaurant. I can't remember what it is. You know, I blow $500 on alcohol. I'm drinking like a fish. I'm ordering everything they have on, on the menu. And I didn't even make it home before I got drunk. 
that's how much of an alcoholic I was. I lasted another two weeks. And because I was, I just went completely, you know, I was able to drink again. So what do I do? I went off the rails. I make it about two weeks. So this is somewhere around the beginning of April of 2018, obviously my Friday dates in June. And um, I had been drinking pretty hard for those two weeks. And I was so paranoid about my past and the things I did. I slept with a gun um, rack next to my bed. So I had been sleeping, you know, uh, sleeping with a gun for about 10 years, just fully racked, you know, ready to go. Because I think people are going to get but I live in South Orange County, for God's sakes. You know, my enemies are in L.A. They're somewhere else. Like, I think they're going to track me down and find me because I'm paranoid. I mean, I'm looking out the windows, you know, when I'm waking up in the middle of the night because I'm shaking from not having a drink. You know, when I wake up in the morning, I'm, I'm clearing the house with a goddamn gun because I'm that paranoid that someone's in there or someone's going to get me. You know, and this is what this is what happens to me when I have alcohol or even when I don't have alcohol. You know, my only solution is alcohol. You know, that has been my solution my whole life. And I don't have that in me. I don't know what to do. You know, I get scared. You know, it, it took me a long time to admit that I was in fear. You know, that was what, that was what, you know, what my first sponsor was able to help me with and show me through the fourth step. So by this point, I make it about two weeks. I guess, you know, I don't know what happened. You know, I, I held that, I, I held that gun at that point and I thought it was time, you know, it was time to end it all. You know, I looked at it, you know, I slid the chamber and I was ready to, I was just ready to let it go. And I was ready to end my life at this point. Cause I just didn't know, I didn't know what, I didn't know what I needed because nothing fixed me. You know, the world, my parents taught me that money will, you know, get a car, get a house, get the girlfriend, make a whole bunch of money. And it's just like, that's going to make you happy. It doesn't, it never made me happy. You know, I was the most miserable in my life. I was there ready to end my life in that moment. And now that I know that today, I know that it was my higher power. It was God that saved my life that night. I don't know what happened. I end up waking up on the couch sometime the next morning with my parents kicking the door down because I'm going through alcohol withdrawals. I'm, I'm going through, I'm going through alcohol withdrawals. I'm going through benzo withdrawals. I'm shaking. Uh, <laughs> and you know, this is the beginning of, this is the beginning of April. My parents find me, you know, I, I guess I called them in a blackout. You know, they kicked my door down and found me and they said, all right, get in the car. We're going to Marietta. So and this is where uh, I got to meet my first sponsor who came out here from Marietta. I got to go to a, got to go in a meeting uh, on Friday night. And, you know, I showed up there, you know, I'm, I'm dripping sweat through my, through my shirt because I'm going through withdrawals. You know, I, I am having panic and anxiety attacks because that's all I've ever had was alcohol and drugs in my life. My body doesn't know what it's not like to have, you know, and I, now I know I probably should have gotten to rehab, but I was too stubborn. You know, this is how big my ego and my pride is, is I would not go to a rehab. You know, my parents didn't know better. My parents are from the ghetto. They're from East L.A. You know, they came from literally nothing and worked themselves up and did, you know, did amazing with their lives and were able to provide a great life for me. And what I did is I threw that away because all I wanted was to get high. I wanted to get out of this head because this head's going to look for problems and solutions. You know, I'm trying to solve problems that aren't, have none of my business. And this is what you guys got to teach me is that guess what? My life is mine and I get to stay in my own lane today and I get to be of service and do these type of things. So I ended up going to my first day meeting, um, Honestly, it's still kind of a blur at this point because I really don't remember much, you know, but I do being, I do remember being hopeless. I remember the despair and I remember hearing uh, a couple of different gentlemen in this meeting. You know, one of them happened to be my first sponsor, Gabriel. Another, another gentleman was uh, a gentleman that ended up passing away a couple of years ago, but was a big impact on my life and was able to help me out a lot. But through Alcoholics Anonymous, I was able to get through that pain, you know, get through uh, the passing also of a friend. 
So I end up going to a couple meetings, right? I start going to a meeting on Friday night, Sunday night, and I'm only doing, I'm only doing this white knuckle. You know, I, I don't know what the steps are. You know, I've heard of a book, you know, there's a big book study, but I'm not listening about anything. You know, I still have that cotton in my ears. I don't want to hear anyone. You know, you guys are talking, people are talking about being desperate and how they need God. And you say the God word for me, and that's just the trigger. You know, I want to take somebody's head off. And I, I always come to find out, you know, that again, that's my fear. That's my ego. And that's my pride. So I end up white knuckling for about a month and a half. And so, of course, what ends up happening? First opportunity I have, I'm back and drinking again. You know, within the next month, I was already back and I was in the same place in my house. You know, my parents were on vacation. So I was like, hey, I can go home. I'll be fine. Don't worry about me. So come back to my south, my, my uh, house here in South Orange County. I made it an hour before I was off and running again. And again. You know, and this is with no car. Technically, I still had a car. Um, I'm the type of alcoholic that has two cars and says, oh, don't worry about it. I can crash one. I still got another. I still got another. One. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, I was like, yeah, that's, that's a pretty brilliant idea. So, you know, within an hour, I'm already out there running and gunning. You know, I'm already out there drinking. I'm hooking up with all sorts of people and doing the things I do. And guess what? Within two weeks, I'm right back on the couch again. My parents end up finding me on the couch, you know, this time again, shaking, you know, shaking and baking all over again. So I ended up getting picked up, taken out to Marietta again. And I ended up going to a Sunday meeting this time. And this was a 12 and 12. And there happened to be a smoke break, kind of like there was here. And one of the gentlemen there, you know, who come to find uh, and being told that this was my Eskimo is we on the smoke break and he's like, Hey, what are you doing back out here? Back out here. Aren't you from South Orange County? And I was like, yeah, I just, I just said, I can't do it anymore. And I broke down right there in front of this little shack of a church. And I just started crying, you know, and it was, I, I just said, I don't know what to do anymore. You know, I was like, I just can't live. I can't live with it and I can't live without it. You know? And so he asked me, you know, what are you doing? What kind of preventative maintenance are you doing to keep yourself sober? And I was like, what do you mean preventative maintenance? He's like, do you have a sponsor? Have you stopped started working the steps? You know, are you listening? Are you going to meetings? And I was like, what is the, what is this stuff? Like, I kind of listen to you guys when I come in, but you know, I'm still, I'm still too good. I'm only looking at differences. I'm looking at why I'm different or I think I'm better, which obviously I'm far, far from it. If I ended up in Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, cause I can't smile, you know, I don't know what it's like to have fun. You know, and I come into these rooms and I see you, you know, everyone in here that's smiling, having a good time, or the majority of people are pretty darn happy when you walk into a room of alcoholics and alcoholics, you know, and one thing is they're very, 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 very nice. And they're very, very greedy. And I'm not used to people being nice. I'm looking at people that want things for me because that's all I've ever, that's all that's ever happened. You know, my friends are, you know, fair weather friends, you know, when I have something or they have something, that's when we meet up, you know, that's what we do. You know, my whole life was based off of drinking and music. So at this point, you know, I finally just, I finally was able, God was able to give me the gift of desperation at this point. You know, I got that gift of desperation and I had never felt, I don't know if it was the worst or the best feeling of my life at that moment uh, to be able to just say, okay, I, I you know, I, I'm willing to do whatever. So that night, you know, I think it was that night, uh, my memory is still pretty shot from all the uh, use of drugs and alcohol in my life. So I ended up calling on my first sponsor and I said, hey, you know, would you sponsor me? So at this point, um, you know, he says, Hey, um, I need you to do a couple things. And I'm like, you know, what do you need me to do? He's like, I need you to, I need you to call me on the phone every day for the first 30 days. And I'm like, oh, okay. You know, all right, whatever. Right. So, you know, I'd start picking up the phone and, you know, calling him every day. And he's just like, Hey, well, as well as we need to, you know, we need to start doing some step work. You know, it's not only do you start doing step work. He's like, but I can see the ego and pride and you. you need to start being of service. 
I'm like, what's being of service? He's like, I need, he's like, you need to go, go down to the central office and see what they need. He's like, I don't care what they need. You pick up phones, you pick up, you know, you go clean out the trash cans in like, every meeting we go to together. It's like, I'm going to take you to meetings. He's like, you're going to have, uh, you're going to start getting some commitments. So, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm having a hard time just talking to anybody at this point. And this guy wants me to go talk to people. <laughs> he wants me to go do something. And even worse yet, I got to do something for free. Like I've never given my time away. So I end up going to the central office and I'm just like, what the hell's going on here? You know, and those were some of the greatest times I, I had, you know, some of the best feelings I had in my life were being of service. Um, service work for me is a big part of my sobriety. You know, and that was instilled on me from my sponsor is he was like, when you get two years, you're going to be a GSR. He's like two years after that, you're going to become another GSR. And he just, he just said, you do whatever you're asked to do. Um, you know, I was at the point of my life at this point, I was so down and out that any suggestion, and I didn't take his suggestions as a suggestion, because he told me I was going to die. And I truly, truly believe him. And I still believe that to the core today, you know, that I will die if I go back out. I don't think I have it in me to come back. I really, really do not. So I took everything he said as that was the gospel truth, and I'm going to do it. And he told me to be of service, I will be of service. He says, you go to this meeting, you go to this meeting. He says, you call three guys a day, you start calling three guys a day. Don't get me wrong. I want to do none of this. You can talk to him. I was like, I don't know if I could do this. You know, I, you know, I don't know, man. I don't think I can pick that phone up or I don't think I can start you know, calling people. You know, but I noticed, especially, you know, I noticed every time I did, I felt better. Whenever he asked me to do something, I'm like, huh. I'm like, why do I feel better? Like, this is, this is interesting. This is an interesting feeling. It's like this feeling I usually get when I get it, when I have a conquest, right? When I, when I complete something, you know, I complete a project or I sell, you know, have a, have a deal or anything to that extent. It's like, that's the feeling I start getting from this. I'm like, Hmm, you know, it's interesting. I start getting this feeling, but I'm just doing everything he tells me to do. You know, he tells me a lot of things like, you know, don't get in a relationship in your first year. Don't, you know, don't make any major decisions in your first year of sobriety. Cause of course I had the bright idea. I'm like, I'm going to sell my house. I'm fucking done. I'm, I'm out of here guy. And he's like, why don't you go ahead and hold off on that for a little bit? I was like, ah, all right, uh, you know, maybe I will. We'll see how things start going. So I end up going to meetings, you know, and I get, I end up having, you know, a couple months under my belt. I end up getting, so we get through step one, you know, step one was easy for me um, because I knew I was crazy. You know, where I, where I come from, um, the people that I hung around with, being crazy was a virtue. You know, it was something that it was looked upon as a positive thing. If someone looks at you and doesn't know how you're going to react, that's a good thing. Because it was the way I got to shield myself and people don't know who I am. And, or again, where I come from and how things and how I grew up, um, I ended up doing a decent amount of time in juvenile hall at a young age. So actually all the tattoos I have on my body, I was 15, year old, 15 years old when I got them. You know, I'm 40 years old, about to be 41, and I haven't got a tattoo since I was 15 years old. Um, and those tattoos were, um, I had two on my chest that were from fighting uh, because in juvenile hall, not many people have tattoos at that age. So when you have tattoos, it gives you something to look for. And I used them as a warning shot saying, hey, if you want to get down, let's do this type of thing. And unfortunately, where I was at is no longer open anymore because they used to use us to fight. Uh, the staff would take us and have us fighting each other. So obviously it, it was a little bit of rough time. You know? So I learned, learned the hard way how to fight. You know, I ended up getting in martial arts because of it. And I also knew, I come to find out later, that the tattoos I got on my back were because I'm an alcoholic. I tattooed basically what an alcoholic is. I have crazy on one side and lonely on the other. Even at 15 years old, I knew I was crazy and lonely. You know, but I was that fucked up to where I had to put them on myself and put them on my body because that's the only way I knew I'd express myself. 
you know, I never reflect on back on, on back on that until, you know, about a year ago, I was like, Oh, shit. like, you're right. I guess I am. I am crazy and lonely, but I'm not crazy and lonely anymore. You know, you guys get to take me, you guys took me in, you know, no matter how egotistical I was, no matter how mean I was, because I want to take a lot of people's heads off. I had a lot of resentments when I came in here. I had resentments, resentments that people told me to pray or they felt sorry for people who didn't pray and meditate. I was like, you want to hear something about praying? I wanted to take their head off. But I, you know, but God, fortunately, God enough kept my mouth shut at that time. I kept it. I kept it to myself. So it was easy for me to admit that I was crazy. I was like, yeah, of course I know I'm crazy. I've been crazy my whole life. You know, so step one was, was fairly easy. You know, you know, come to believe that our power restores to sanity coming into step two. You know, I didn't really grapple that all too well because I had a really big problem with that God problem. You know, and that ties in also with step three is, you know, is being able to give my will on my life. And this is where I had a huge issue. You know, what my sponsor did is he said, you know what you're going to do besides call me every day for 30 days? It's like, you're going to pick up a 24 hour day, but like, what's a 24 hour day? But he's like, you read that every single morning. He's like, there's a day, there's instructions every day for you. So I pick up that 24 hour day book. And he's like, and after that, he's like, I'm going to teach you. He's like, you're going to learn the serenity prayer. And you say that every morning. And you know, of course I didn't really read the 24 hour day book every single day. But when I started reading it, I kept saying God and I'd call him and I'd be like, Hey man, like it's a God again in this book. I was like, you know, I don't like this God thing. I was like, I got a big problem with this God thing. He's like, don't worry about it, man. And you know, I'm lucky enough that he was the type of sponsor that he didn't force anything on me and especially God or a higher power. He let me, he guided me in the right direction. He guided me to Alcoholics Anonymous that allowed me to accept a higher power, what I could accept in my life. And today I can call that higher power God because my higher power is I see it in everyone. I don't care if it's called, if someone else's higher power is called Allah, Yahweh, Jesus Christ, my higher power is all of them. So I can accept a higher power today in any form that it comes in. You know, my higher power is love. It's, it's everything, you know, it's built in, it's in everything. And I only got that because you guys were able to teach me that that's what was, that my malady wasn't a drinking issue. You know, I had a spiritual malady and I had a thinking problem. It was the way I thought that made me an alcoholic, not the way I drank. You know, that drinking was just a symptom of the way I think. And that's how I shut that mind up. Or that's how, that's what my solution was, was to drink. So we end up getting to step three. And, you know, I just can't wrap my head around what is, what is God's will? I didn't understand it. I was like, well, what do you mean? Can I not make a decision anymore? Like, how do I deal? You know, how, how do I even become a person? Because I'm still, I'm still pretty tied up in my own head. You know, I'm still, I'm still fearful. I'm still prideful. I'm still full of ego. At this point, so we're, we're trying to wrap our heads around this and we end up coming back, you know, this is a little bit before I have 90 days, some around two and a half months we're coming back from our Friday night meeting. And he's, you know, he's, thank God enough, he's, he's nice enough to drive me to meetings. So he ends up dropping me off at my parents' house at this time. And I don't know what it was. Obviously, I'm guessing it was my higher power that decided to intervene, but um, I decided to tell him, I was like, hey, you know, I got to take care of something. He's like, well, what do you mean you got to take care of something? I was, yeah, some dude's causing some problems, but I'm sending my friends to take care of it. You know what I mean? They'll, they'll deal with this guy. I was like, look, I'm not doing it. You know, I'm not taking care of this person. You know, my friends are doing it. You know, look how much I'm growing. And he's like, are you serious right now? He's like, he's like, he's like, really? He's like, you know, what are you doing? He's like, he's like, all right, man. He's like, you know what? Just go get done. And I'm like, what do you mean go get done? He's like, you know, go, go get done. He's like, go out there. He's like, go see what that gets you. He's like, come, he's like, come back to me when you're done. It's like, because you're not done right now. And he just takes off, right? You know, he told me to go get done, you know, and I didn't understand at that. I didn't understand what he was telling me because he was telling me I wasn't at bottom. You know, I still thought I could run my life. 
And I still thought my uh, other people's problems were mine to solve. You know, so I ended up grappling with this for about a week. You know, I didn't go to meetings at this time for about a week. You know, my parents had taken off for vacation again. So I'm, I'm home in their house running around like a kraken. I'm looking for anything I can find. You know, there's alcohol there, but I'm like, okay, I know I can't touch alcohol, but I can pop some pills or something. So I'm running around the house. I'm, I'm scurrying, you know, I'm finding pills. I'm looking them up. Like, what can I take? What I can't take, you know, that obsession starts kicking in again. Cause that my obsession hasn't been solved yet. Cause I have no solution. You know, I'm crazier without drugs and alcohol in me, especially alcohol. You know, when I don't have a solution in my life, I am an absolute, I'm, I'm insane. I'm certifiable as insane. So I end up making it a week without using or drinking at this point. Um, I'm still actually, I'm still actually being sedated essentially right now because I had a therapist that decided that I was bipolar and give me 1,200 milligrams of Seroquel with triazodone, with Xanax, and with clonazepam. So I'm on a pharmacy. I'm on a pharmacy of this stuff. You know, this 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 is for me just to function even a little bit. And so at this point, you know, um, I end up calling my sponsor, my 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 first sponsor, about a week. Uh, I think it was around a week after that timeline could be a little bit more or a little bit off and I call him and I'm like hey and I'm like I don't know I was pissed off at him I'm like I was so, I was just so angry that he said that essentially I wouldn't make it I'm like we're gonna do this you know like he, he just I was I was so pissed to show him that he was wrong that I would get sober I'm like let's do this shit let's get back into it right I can't remember how the conversation goes but I'm pretty sure he was like I didn't expect to hear a call from you it's like I thought you were gonna be out there running so what do we got? We have to sit back down. He says, you know what? We're going to start all back over. We go back through step one. We went back through step two. And then we got to step three this time. He just says, hey, man, it just says all you have to do is make a decision. It's like you don't have to call a higher power, God or Jesus or whatever else you want. It's like, how about you just make a decision? Just open the door a little bit to say, hey, there's a possibility there could be something out there. And I'm a pretty logical individual. So I'm like, you know what? The possibility, there's, there's a slight possibility there could be there. You know, and he's like, he's like, he's like, you know what? If the group's your higher power, that's fine. You know, the group of drunks, the AA, he's like, hey, there, there's your God right there. And I'm like, I can get behind that. You know, you guys are solving a problem that I couldn't solve. You know, and this is what I do for a living. This is what I've done for 20 years to solve problems and complex problems. So when I find someone that has a better solution, at this point, I'm able to at least be a little bit open. And I heard from an old timer a little while ago about step three, which made a lot of sense to me is he says, if you come to a, a point of a decision to make or having something to do, he's like, well, whatever decision you're going to make, is it going to take you closer to God or take you closer to a drink? And it was that simple. It's like, huh? So whatever I'm going to do is, is it going to take me closer to a drink or is it taking closer to God? So I was able to get through step three with just using, you know, just using the group of drugs. So I get to about six months of sobriety now, and I'm finally stopped. I'm finally actually through my withdrawals, you know, because I'm not, I'm not shaking anymore. You know, I'm able to actually get more than two hours of sleep because I didn't sleep more than two hours for the first four or five months of my sobriety. You know, I had, you know, I didn't mind the, the you know, all the DTs and everything because I had gone through them my whole life. I'm like, I could get through it, but it was, it was miserable. It was like torture. It was the worst torture I'd ever had in my life again for this long because I had nothing to solve it, you know, and even jumping back a little bit, I remember somewhere around 30 days when I was telling my sponsor about the prescriptions that I had, he was like, Hey, he's like, do you really need those? And I knew deep down, I didn't need, you know, God was telling me, Hey, you didn't need it. I was like, you know what? I don't think I do. And I actually threw my prescriptions away at that point. You know, it was somewhere. I don't remember where somewhere around in my 30 days of spray, probably have to ask him. Maybe he knows who knows it's been four years, but at that point I was willing to give them up and I was willing to not, not take those anymore. And thank God, because I didn't need them. You know, all the therapists, the psychologists, all these people told me I was bipolar, but my sponsor told me that, hey, 
You know what? Alcoholics act exactly like people that are bipolar. They had these manic issues that were up, were down all around. And that's what my problem was. You know, I had all these therapists and psychologists that can never figure out what was wrong with me. But I go into one meeting and you guys can tell you, you guys can tell exactly what's wrong with me. Like, oh yeah, he's an alcoholic. That's what's wrong with him. <laughs> you know, you know, he's got a thinking problem. He's got a God problem, you know, and you guys are able to fix that. So about six months, you know, it's December, you know, it's about December, it's sometime in early December. I'm sitting in my parents' backyard and I'm smoking a cigarette. And it's nighttime and I'm just listening to the song, I'm sitting out there smoking a cigarette. And this is when I had this, I don't know what it was, but now I know it was my essential, my spiritual awakening at this point. I had this sense of relief come over me. It just felt like something washed over me. And I, I just kind of felt like everything was going to be okay. You know, because I couldn't, I couldn't wrap my head around a higher power. But at this point, whatever it was, told me it was going to be okay. And from then on, you know, my life has been absolutely amazing at this point. You know, I was able to give my will at that point in my life over the care of God. You know, I gave my life to AA and I let you guys tell me what to do. You know, I stopped, I stopped control because control is my problem. I want to control everything. I can fix, you give me something, I can see it, I can figure it out. I, my mind just works that way. But today I used to use those, all my gifts, because I've been blessed with a lot of gifts. I use those selfishly. I use them for me. I used to make money. I make them to influence people. I used to control people, to bend people to my will, either physically or mentally, whatever way I could do it, I would break people. That's what I do. But today I don't get to do that. Today I get to share my gifts with everybody. You guys tell me that I can be of service. You guys tell me that I can love somebody. You know, you guys tell me that I'm okay just the way I am, that you don't want anything from me. The only thing you guys want from me is to be able to give away this program that was given to me so freely. Well, that was the only thing my sponsor asked me to do was give this program away, you know, and I was blessed enough that to live with my parents for this first year of sobriety. So I lived in Marietta and that's where this was my spot. My first sponsors out here from Marietta. I was able to spend a year of doing nothing but AA. And I was blessed enough to be able to afford to do that, to not have to work for a year. And that's what it took. That's what it took for me. It took me one year of solid AA to get my life back together. You know, and right before I did, I took my one year uh, chip, I was able to able to procure a job, which happened to be three miles from my house. So I moved home on Memorial Day, you know, of uh, 2019 and started a job the next day and took my one year chip six days after that. And that's where I you know, got to see Romy and I got to meet Caitlin at that first meeting. And I got to give my one year share and tell them saying, hey, this is what you guys did for me. You guys, you guys showed me what peace and serenity was. I didn't know what peace and serenity because I kind of, I came from such the opposite of that past, you know, and I did that my whole life. You know, I lived that double life of not only, you know, holding, you know, a, a pretty decent job, but as soon as I got out of work, I'm running and gunning, you know, I'm selling drugs, I'm getting fights, I'm doing things like that. And I could come into work and people like, and I thought it was normal, right? You know, people call it a side hustle or something that extent. I thought that was completely acceptable. You know, making well over six figures, and I'm still selling drugs. Like, what kind of normal human being does that? <laughs> you know, that makes absolutely no sense, but it made sense to me at the time. You know, and today I don't get to do that. Today I get to be of service. You know, I get to have these commitments. You know, I get to go to meetings, participate. You know, I get to do whatever you guys ask me to do. You guys ask me to come speak. You know, I come here happily. You know, and I get to share the story with you guys. And that's none of me. You know, that's all alcoholics and honest. And that was all my higher power. You know, as A saved my life long enough to where you could put me with my higher power because my higher power never abandons me. You know, first I had AA to rely on and then I got to rely on a sponsor that I was sponsor relying for a pretty long time. 
But then my sponsor got, let me go and says, you know what? You know, hey, why don't you start becoming God-reliant? And now today I get to be God-reliant because God is always there with me. It's in, it's in all my rooms. It's in everything. And it's, I can reset my day at any point. You know, um, I had a pretty bad temper before I came in this room. And I could happily say that I've only lost my temper a handful of times in four years of sobriety. You know, because I can stop and pause now. Because you guys tell me before I say something, think about it. Or don't say anything at all. Now do the opposite reaction. You know, and today you guys shift my whole way of thinking is first I was a criminal. I was a criminal for a long time. So my first reaction is how do I rob, cheat, steal? Now my first reaction isn't that. Well, sometimes it's the second, sometimes the third, but that's okay. You know, you guys changed me for the better. It's how can I help somebody today? You know, today I get to pray for people that are, that I have issues with. I remember when one person told me is, you know, it's hard for someone to be on your hit list to throw on your prayer list. So I get to put them on my prayer list today. <laughs> You know, and, and that's just something that you guys taught me. You know, I got to do a fourth and a fifth step. And, you know, that was pretty scary as well because I have a pretty, a pretty bad past. And I was scared. You know, I was scared to be able to admit these things because if I say these things, you know, there, there's, there's some real repercussions behind, you know, behind that. And I've never trusted anyone enough to tell those deep and dark secrets, you know, but my first sponsor was able to earn my trust. And that was through his actions, you know, and that was from, you know, not always, you know, always kind words, but he was not, you know, he was, he was truthful with me. And when we sat down to do our fifth step, you know, he told me some of his deep, dark secrets. You know, he told me some of the things that he did and all the four steps and fifth steps that he's, he's had, you know, cause he has some, he has some significant time under his belt for, you know, for being my age as well, but he's done this thing. He's done enough fifth steps. So he shared a little bit about himself, you know, and that allowed me to open up and that allowed me to feel, I mean, he had earned my trust by this point because we were, I was about a year and three months in the sobriety. And I was able to start, you know, getting down and reading that fist step. You know, and I had so many things in me. As soon as I started reading, I broke down and started crying. You know, and I just started going through that whole thing with him and laying it all out there. And he didn't hate me for it. You know, he didn't, he didn't say, oh, wow. He was like, yep, heard that one before and just kept going. He said, let me keep going. He's like, yep, done that. Yep, yep. Yeah, that's on my checks. You know, and it wasn't really, you know, it, it wasn't really all that bad. You know, and that takes us into six and seven. He's just like, yeah, we know you got pride. We know you got ego. You know what to do with those. Because at this point, he's already taught me how to live. You guys have taught me how to live. You guys taught me these things. And today I get to live in 10, 11, and 12. You know, and I thank you so much for allowing me to share today on my birthday because this was special. You know, this is my four years. I've never been able to put this guy. I couldn't even put more than a day of sobriety until I got to Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, and you guys did this after a life of using 25 years of using every single day and drinking every day. You know, I get to live a, I get to live this life, beyond, you know, a life beyond my wildest dreams. You know, and I'm thankful my, my life gets better every single year and every single day. And it's not always the best thing, but you know what, you know, I got you guys to rely on and you guys to show me how to live. So thank you very much.